welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians who love to read and talk about books. And today's episode is a fun one. And we teased it a little bit on Instagram a few weeks ago. We are reading from our TBR piles. These are physical books that we had on our shelves and... Anne and I picked out books for each other to read instead of picking them out on our own, which is so fun. I had so much fun picking out. In fact, I do not remember the books I picked for you. Oh, it's going to be a surprise. Yeah. We send send each other pictures of shelves and then the other person picks. Yeah. Just scans the shelves and says, this is what you're going to read. So we've done these before, but it's been a while since we've done one. Um, I was trying to, to number it on my my document that I keep and I was like I three four I don't remember yeah. well we've done it done. a few different ways too because right. we've definitely picked books for each other that I think they were from maybe our Goodreads TBR I don't know if they were from our physical TBR right and then we've definitely done our physical TBR because I know we've sent pictures of our shelves before right so maybe this is three yeah four I three? don't know I'm not sure but it is fun because I think both of us have either a stated or implicit implicit goal of trying to read from our own bookshelves right maybe more than we do at least for me that's true and so I love this where there was there was a time where I was very excited to read these books on my shelf but then other things overcame that so it's fun to have the chance to go and read yeah. Those books that were so yeah. interesting and exciting at the time. And especially because they're books that we have, like when I'm picking a book for you, I pick something I've read. And so, and I think that that's more uh-huh. fun to, like, because we sort of say our opinions about the books and stuff on this episode. And so it's just more fun. Like, I'm not just going to look at your shelf and say, uh, do that one. Right. We have a reason that we're yeah. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So All right. Let, hit me with fun. your first one. Okay. So the first book you picked for me was The Maid by Anita Prose. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so it is about a woman named Molly Gray who works as a maid at a luxury hotel in a city and we're never really told what the city is so the author is from or lives in Toronto so I sort of pictured that but maybe it's New York I don't know and she feels a deep sense of satisfaction from her work from from the work that she does and she really enjoys meeting guests and has even made some friends among the staff but ultimately interactions are really difficult for her mm-hmm. um it's not stated outright in the book but we're led to believe that she's neurodivergent and Mm -hmm. so she had really depended on her grandmother to help her navigate the world and to sort of um, create systems to understand the social rules that she doesn't that don't come naturally to her Um, but her grandmother has recently died I think it's a a few weeks after her, her grandmother's death when the book starts and she feels really adrift and she has a constant worry about money and so she really relies on tips from the the guests that, that work in the hotel. And they're all very wealthy for the most part, these these guests. Um, but they're not all good to her. Um, it it kind of goes back and forth of, of how she's treated. But she's sort of made friends with one woman named Giselle, who is a, a very young second wife to a man named Mr. Black, who's a rich businessman um, and is is pretty terrible just all around. But Giselle is really the only guest who who treats Molly like a person or or beyond just the mm-hmm. niceties of of speaking to her. So she's shocked when she goes one day to clean their room and 
uh, she, as she walks in, she's rudely pushed aside by Mr. Black as he's leaving. And Giselle has locked herself in the bathroom and is very obviously, um, like, audibly upset. So Molly decides to come back later to finish cleaning because she can't get into the, the bathroom to, to clean. And when she goes back, she sees that Mr. Black is asleep in bed. But when she gets closer, she realizes that he is dead. And so she reports this to the hotel manager, her boss, and she's assured that she's not a suspect. But then when she's questioned by the police for details she doesn't give responses to questions the way that one might suspect uh, or might expect because she just doesn't read the world in that way and so she is saying sort of these little platitudes and and things like that that are just things that she's memorized uh and it comes off very badly to the de- to, to this detective and so the detective becomes suspicious of her and she ultimately needs to uh, prove her own innocence so she turns to uh, several people at the hotel one of them is her crush who is a bartender named Rodney and another is a friend of hers that she is uh, sort of helping out on the side who's a dishwasher named Juan Manuel and the there's a an elderly doorman named Mr. Preston who are all the people that she goes to for help but not all of these men have her best interests at heart and so part of the book is finding out who is on her side this was a good morning America Uh, book club pick and it seemed to do very well when it came out and i did not like it at all oh interesting tell me why i wasn't sure if you would like this or not i thought i would love it because i i had heard so much about it and i was so like you know i love mysteries and i I thought it was a really fun take on on the genre like i everything about the way that it was described uh sounded like it would be very up my alley i did i don't want to give spoilers but i don't think it played fair with okay the mystery um, I thought it was a super thin mystery plot and yeah. that it's ultimately not really anything to do with the mystery is why you're reading it. So maybe that's the difference. If you're going into it, not expecting to care about the mystery, maybe it would sit better with you, but I mm-hmm. I wanted the mystery. Um, and I ultimately just didn't like the writing at all. Uh, Molly speaks very formally. That's sort of part mm-hmm. of, of her character mm-hmm. and that makes sense for her. But then all the other characters also spoke just as formally. And so I didn't think that that set Mm-hmm. her apart in a way that made sense to me um and and just made it feel very very stilted and very trite feeling um and it, it took me forever to get through like like there were so many characters where I kept thinking well this just feels like a like a a cartoon caricature mm-hmm. of a villain or mm-hmm. um it, I it, it felt very strange for a book that was a modern book like I kept sort of thinking is this set in the 40s or something and mm-hmm. then it isn't because they talk about cell phones and things right. like that and so so I don't know it, I, I wanted more of a difference of the way that she views the world and the way that she speaks and the way that everyone was responding to her mm-hmm. to be like a like a starker contrast without being told that they see her in this right. this way so it it took me forever to get through so <laughs> it was not a book for me and I'm I was sad because I I wanted to like it and yeah. I, I yeah I wanted to like it I also maybe I, the the author didn't say anything about her knowledge of neurodiversity yeah. in her author's note and so and I, I admittedly didn't do a lot of research on that so I maybe she has more experience with it but I sort of wanted to know what her it, it I didn't know if she had any background in this and so it sort of felt a little uncomfortable to me to me to know to not to know that she isn't neurodivergent as far as I can tell or what her 
knowledge of that right is like so but again maybe she has addressed all of that and i just haven't yeah looked at it but definitely it's not stated in the in the book so Mm -hmm. yeah not for me unfortunately that's interesting so this was one he got a lot of buzz there were a lot of people talking about this book and when i read it and it was optioned for a movie before it was published too so it's it's very very buzzy and i liked it more than you did i I'm not the mystery reader you are, though, so I I don't think I would have been as critical maybe about the mystery elements right. as you were. Right. Uh, part of what I thought was some of the things that were kind of obvious as a reader, we were supposed to assume it was because the main character, things weren't obvious to her the way right. they might be obvious to us is why some of the things played out the way they did and things like that. But I do I did read it thinking huh, I'm a little surprised there's as much buzz about this book as there is. Like, to me, mm-hmm. it was it was decidedly fine. It was a, I didn't hate it. It didn't take me forever to get through or anything like that. But I just thought it was fine. Like, it was, it was okay. Yeah. I felt like it was very much in the vein of Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. And some of those kinds of books that have come out over the years where mm-hmm. it's kind of a, quirky main character who sees the world differently than those around her and and then you realize at the end she does have true friendships kind of thing so mm-hmm. but so yeah I liked it I can see where you wouldn't um yeah and when I picked it I remember not knowing if you would like it whereas there are other times where I think I have a better gauge of this yeah it's yeah, gonna yeah. be something that you would like and so yeah that's interesting yeah. but yeah well, it was big, I, but I feel like it died out pretty quickly the buzz around this too yes and yeah. i don't feel like i saw it on many end of the year favorites uh-uh. lists and things like that so that's telling to me because there were other really buzzy books lessons in chemistry being one or tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow right where there was a lot of sustained talk about those books there right. still is right um, and uh, remarkably bright creatures yeah. it's still they're still on the best the new york times bestseller list right. months and months after their publication right. and this one I felt definitely dropped off yeah. as soon as it was published. Although I think it did win the Goodreads Best Mystery so, Award, which I, I have was issues frustrated. with those awards. Yes, which maybe we have talked about before, but they are a popularity contest. They are a popularity they are, contest. They are a reflection of how many people have read the books versus right. how good or how, that they're the favorite. Yeah, I look at those lists sometimes and think, well, how many of these have people actually read? Right. So if they've only read one or two, they're going to vote for those. Right. One or two and something like this that did get and it was a book of the month club pick too. Right. So those books that just skews are read things more. so much. Yeah. And and especially I like when it, I saw it one best mystery I'm like this is this was voted by people who don't read mysteries if they voted this as the best mystery of the yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, to me it was not a mystery really. I mean, it was, I guess, but well there's I don't want to give I don't want to say things, but there's there's information that is not revealed right like there's no way that the that the reader can know what happened in this book because we're not given a piece of information until the very very end and to me that's not playing fair and so it's built yeah right right and so it just it just didn't it didn't land for me but i don't know yeah i i i wanted to like it a lot more than i did the and i know this was not everybody's cup of tea either but personally the mystery that I felt like should have gotten a little bit more buzz was The Verifiers, which we've talked about. Right. Which was similar in the sense of it's somebody investigating a mystery who 
approaches things differently. And I don't know. I That to me was unique and felt fresh. And yeah. And this didn't. Yeah. But it felt like it was supposed to. Yeah. Well, and I and there is such a draw right now to this is a quirky yeah. main character who has to learn that there are people around them. Yeah that love them and, and right. care about them but neurodivergency isn't just being quirky no and that and that sort and the fact that it wasn't stated of like i can yeah. i can sort of see why the author would choose not to outright state something but also i felt like that let it lean in more into right. well she's she's right. just quirky and i and i i think that we're past that yeah that characterization so yeah or we should be, so. Well, I'm glad you knocked it off your list, because I feel like yeah. it's one that you it was on your radar, obviously. And yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I kept it after, right. like, we didn't we didn't right. uh, push it into the committee discussions, but I kept it because I wanted to read it. So right. so I'm glad that now I can have an opinion on it, because I love having an opinion on all books. Do. I know you do. <laughs> okay, my anyway, first, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so my first one you picked for me is The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by Megan Bannon. Okay. And this one is funny to me because I picked it up totally on a whim at a bookstore. I mean, now I'm referencing our last episode that we talked about a little bit about how we collect books. But yeah. I saw that it had been picked for the local independent bookstores uh, romance book club, which they just started not too long ago. So oh, I kind of keep, I keep my eye on what they choose and stuff. I haven't been able to actually get there yet, but I hope to at some point. But so I thought it's a, I think a really fun, interesting cover. It's a mm-hmm. kind of like a bright teal color with pink. Oh, mine was a bright pink cover. Oh, maybe. Interesting. Maybe that's what mine is. I feel like it's teal. I'll have to go back and look because I think maybe they have multiple. Like maybe. I kind of feel like it's a. I think like they have two. Interesting. Oh, I feel like mine's teal, but anyway, it's downstairs. So I don't know. But it was it was just kind of eye catching to me. It caught my attention, and I picked it up and looked at the back of it and thought I just read the first two or three sentences of the synopsis on the back and thought, oh, this sounds kind of fun, so I bought it. Yeah. And then. It ended up on the reading list right? as the best romance, right? Yeah. Didn't it win? Yeah, this is what we, we voted for our best right. romance. Right. So then I thought, well, this is so fun. I have it. So I put it in my 23 books to read in 2023 stack. And yeah. then you chose it for me. So I was so excited to read it. So Yeah. Uh, but I didn't know much about it. I will say that. I had very, very, very minimal knowledge about what it was about or anything. And so this is it does not on the surface sound like a Halley book, I don't think, because it's sort of a zombie Western influenced romance. Right. Uh, but it's it's got elements of You've Got Mail, the movie You've Got Mail. Right. So it's a real amalgamation of different genres. And and I don't know. It, talk about feeling fresh. This felt very new to me that this right. as a romance. It doesn't seem like this combination would work, but it really does. The, I think the author did an incredible job of world building for the purpose of the story, but not giving so much detail that it would turn off somebody like me, who I dip my toe in fantasy sometimes, but I'm not a huge fantasy reader mm-hmm. and not a huge horror reader. Like There wasn't so much of that element of otherworldliness that... It put me off, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So let me tell you about the premise. I know you've already read it, but I'm going to tell yes. the, the listeners. So Heart... That's our job. Yes, it is our job. 
Uh, Hart is a demigod, and he is a marshal in this world territory where where this book is set. And he is a kind of a loner. He keeps to himself, and he does his job. He does it very well. But part of his job is that when he patrols, he will come across what is called a drudge, which is basically a zombie. Like, it's it's a zombie for our purpose. For all of the <laughs> intents and purposes of this conversation, it's a zombie. So he either has to kill these drudges or they are already dead from other... Can you be dead if you're a zombie? I don't know how to describe this well. Yeah. But you, yeah. he takes their remains, the bodily remains of these drudges, and has to collect them and then take them to be dealt with, basically, be sent off and cremated again for for our intents and purposes, we'll say it's cremated. There's a system in this world where you sort of select your undertaker ahead of time. If a body does not have ha- does not have that selection chosen, there are only a couple of places that these bodies can go. And so, he will take them to one of these undertakers called Birdsall and Sons, which is where Mercy comes into the picture. So Mercy is the daughter of the owner of Birdsall and Sons, and she's basically running the business. Um, her brother theoretically is in school to to learn the business, and her dad has some health issues that he isn't able to participate in the way he used to. So she's basically running the business. And Mercy is all sunshine and happiness and and just very extroverted. And when she and Hart first met, they immediately hated each other. They got <laughs> off on the wrong foot and they just immediately hated each other. So when Hart brings bodies to Birdsall and Sons to be dealt with, he always has to interact with Mercy and they always are sort of sniping at each other, just kind of nitpicking at each other. So... That's sort of how you're introduced to Heart and Mercy. And then one night, Heart is feeling especially lonely and writes, kind of bears his soul, pours his soul out onto a paper by writing a letter that he addresses to just a friend, the generic words, a friend. And he sends it out into the universe. He mails it out expecting it to just basically get kind of thrown away or, you Mm -hmm. know, he doesn't know what's going to happen to it. But the mail delivery system ends up taking it to Mercy and Mercy receives it and reads it, having no idea Hart has written it and responds. And she puts her heart to the paper and tells kind of some innermost secrets kind of thing. And so they start this correspondence back and forth having no idea who the other person is that they are corresponding with. Mm -hmm. So that's the you've got mail part. So that's all I'm going to say because I think the way the story unfolds is really kind of fun and interesting. And it does have those elements of almost like a, not action, but there is a fair bit of like tension. There's a little bit of tension that happens um, outside of just their relationship. And I just thought it really did what it was doing really well and was, such a I don't know just it was a unique reading experience that I felt like I hadn't ever read this kind of book before which I thought was super fun and I really really loved it and I'm eager to see what this author does next and I actually went and looked and the way this is cataloged in a few different places is as a 
fantasy and not it doesn't have anything about romance. And I Which thought that was kind of interesting. Which so funny because, to me. Right, because the romance is at the central... Right. It's sort of the central through line of this book. So anyway, I just loved it. I thought it was great. It was such a fantastic surprise uh, to my reading life. Oh, that's so good. I, I really enjoyed this one, too. So I'm really happy that you... Yeah. That you enjoyed it. This This was one that I read for the for our discussions and then listen to it almost immediately after because because sometimes when we're doing discussion like we're reading right, a lot so and we're reading so fast and so there's just a lot of there I, I end up putting a lot of books on my goodreads that I'm like yeah this is one I need to go back to yeah. because basically as soon as it's done I might have an impression that I enjoyed something but I don't remember right anything from it because you're just you're just reading so much and so fast in a really condensed amount of time. Right. So, so I, I went back and listened to this one and I was just like, oh yeah, this is one that is, it's just a really charming book. And I, yeah. and I, wh- I'm not really a Western, I'm not attracted to Western things because I'm from the West and I don't mm-hmm. have a romanticized view of the West in, in the way that I think appeals to lots of Western right. readers or, or people right. who do th- think that way. But it, but it did feel, it just felt so different because even though I know Western romance is a huge subgenre, it's it's not like it's brand new, but we haven't we don't see it a lot in just the mainstream fan like right. paranormal fantasy romance world. Right. It, it's it's it just yeah. felt like a, a really interesting take. So yeah. but yeah, there's there's like kind of a little bit of a mystery that's going yep. on in the yeah. book and and there's all these family dynamics yes. and, and things and their oh, and relationship. her brother has a yeah. little side story that's really yeah. great. And... Yeah, there's lots of great side characters yeah. and and the without being really twee, like they're they're just I just thought it it fit or it hit all these these yep. tone notes so so perfectly without squ- without swaying too far in in like saccharine directions right. or right two two tough directions it just was was very it was just really really well done so i am glad you liked it yes i really did love it and as as we've been talking i looked it up on goodreads there is a pink cover and a teal cover the teal cover seems to be the more prominent one uh uh-huh. but there is a pink version and did you did you get it in hardcover maybe uh i don't know no, okay because no. that's it I'm seems sure. like that's the pink version and then i okay the one i have is a paperback version what's your next one uh, mine is also a fantasy it is the bear and the nightingale well yours is yours is a romance i don't know why i just said that when we just established it's a romance well i mean it's a fantasy fantasy it's a fantasy romance yeah anyway this is not a romance this is just a fantasy and it's the bear and the nightingale by Catherine arden um and this came out uh five-ish years ago i want to say somewhere mm-hmm. in there it's a fairy tale inspired fantasy debut and it was inspired by medieval russia and russian folklore and so i actually this has been on my this has been on my list for like since it came out i had an advanced copy of it which i was super excited about and because not because i'm super into fantasy but i love like fairy tale inspired fantasy right and so i actually started reading this a few years ago when i was i went on vacation to northern sweden for new year's and i was staying in a snowy cabin and i specifically picked this book to bring with me to read in my snowy snowy cabin because that's the perfect time for this right because it's all in the winter um but i ran out of time uh because it's it's kind of it's not a dense book but it just it wasn't it's not a fast reading book I think and so I ran out of time and then I think I had to move on to something else 
because of a deadline. And then when I did have time, it was summer or like spring. And I just couldn't abide the idea of reading this book when it wasn't snowy, which actually ends up being kind of funny because it's been super warm in Nashville yeah. this winter. And so I'm like, yeah. yeah, it was about 85 degrees here one day. Yeah. Last week. Yeah. yeah. Southern, Southern winter is not the place to be reading this book. Anyway, I read it and I'm super glad that I had the excuse to read it. So um, the main character is named Vasilisa, but she goes by Vasya for most of the book because um, Russians do crazy nicknames that, I will never understand all the the rules of. And she is the youngest daughter of what is essentially a lord who lives in the vast woods of northern Russia. And this isn't the the time that this is taking place. Russia isn't the way that we know it now as being this giant country. It's it's like there's one central grand prince in Moscow and then and then sort of these vassals to the prince that, that each own their their own section and so Mm -hmm. the country hasn't really come together in the in the way that we we know now and there's also stuff with constantinople in there i i it made me want to read more about this Mm -hmm. period because Mm -hmm. i don't i don't totally understand it but vasya's mother was the sister of the grand prince um but had sort of a a kind of otherworldly unearthly sense to her um, and there's a whole history of her mother and why she is that way, but but without going too much into it, um, she's just she was a little bit different than everyone else, and so she ends up dying, giving birth to Vasya, and imbues her with that same quality of of being a little bit different than the rest of the community. So she grows up somewhat wild. She's she's just she runs around the the woods and is more of a troublemaker than her older sister and her brothers, and just stands out and. As she as she gets older, she uh, realizes that she can see the household spirits and the creatures in nature that others can't. And so there are sort of some. I, I'm not super well versed in Russian folklore, but I had heard of the Rusalka, which is a kind of a water sprite that's a woman who, who is it's ultimately a dangerous creature who who entices you, but then kills you um, and there's the domovoi which are house spirits that live in the ovens and they all are there to protect the community essentially and they they require little offerings and so you you put a piece of bread and some milk by the oven and that's that's the the offering to the domovoi and so that's that's how your house is protected and they just sort of innately exist in these spaces and so they really respond to her they they're she's aware of them they're aware of her whereas other people are not um, so her father, because she's so wild, he decides that he needs to remarry. And so he goes to Moscow and brings home the daughter of the Grand Prince, who is um, a deeply religious woman. She's more of a teenager, but she's she's deeply, deeply re- religious and had wanted to go to a convent because she can see demons and they terrify her. And the only space that she doesn't see these things is in a religious context. So um, so soon after that, a monk named Constantine comes to give the community a re- religious center because they're Christian, but they're kind of pagan. And so between between Anna, the new wife, and Constantine, the spirits are neglected and the household and the village begin to fail. So Vasya tries to hold on to the old ways because she can sense that there's danger approaching and she knows that evil forces live out in the woods um, and she, she needs to sort of be the buffer between her house and these this darkness. Um, when she was younger, she ran into a one-eyed man who tried to steal her when she was little. And so she she's very aware of what can go wrong 
when she was also little she she uh, had a nursemaid who told her of frost who is a winter demon who collects souls and is essentially death but is a just and, and noble character and as she gets older she starts to realize that her story is tied to frost and that she is going to be responsible to save her family and her community from the the snowy forest around her so um it's kind of a lot of detail i it's always hard to tell fantasy because there's a lot of stuff that you have to understand but this is so good i really really loved this it did take me forever to get through but that's just kind of how fantasy goes for me because i don't read it quickly i always am like wait but who is this and how does this work and stuff so um so it did take me a long time but i really enjoyed it i thought that the um the sense of place in this is just so 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 good and so all-encompassing and you really feel that sense of you're isolated and you're in the middle of a forest and there's snow and and it's dangerous it's not Mm -hmm. just this is a quaint snowy wonderland it's you're gonna get frostbite if you go outside so this was the first in a trilogy and I sort of don't want to go on in the trilogy because I don't think the others are set in Russian winter and that's Uh. what I liked about the book and so um I know I would enjoy them. I know it'll be fine, but but that's that's the thing that I will take away from this is just how much I liked that setting and how much yeah, it's it's I will keep wanting to say it's cozy. It's not. It's dangerous, but still it's it's a it's a snowy forest and I like those things. So um so that is The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden. It's so funny. I was just listening to a different podcast about books and reading and they were how discussing, dare you i know you uh, they were discussing fantasy and this was one that uh this series or trilogy i guess was one that the uh, the guest was recommending as a, mm-hmm. as one everybody should read basically yeah i don't i feel like i read it but it's been a long time so <laughs> i don't remember any of the details so thank you for filling me in hooray my next one is the last chance library by freya sampson And this is about a woman named June Jones who lives a very, very quiet life. She didn't always plan to. She um, had had big plans when she was younger and a teenager about going off into the world. But then her mother passed away. Her mother was the librarian in the small village where they live in England. After her mother's death, June kind of got stuck. She got a job at the library as an circulation assistant is basically what we'd call them here, um, where she checks out the books and shelves the books and that sort of thing. She lives in the house that her mo- she and her mom lived in. Um, she just kind of keeps to herself. She just doesn't venture out very much to out of her comfort zone at all. And she, she doesn't think that she has much of an impact on anyone around her. So she's just kind of going about her, her routines. She has a lot of set in her ways kind of routines about she gets Chinese takeout on a certain night of the week and she does this thing on a certain day of the week. And then two things happen which kind of shake up her her safe little world. One is that a friend of hers named Alex comes back to town who they knew each other when they were in school but they haven't kept in touch and he's back at to help his dad. His dad had to have surgery and they own what I just referred to about the Chinese restaurant that she gets carry out from and so she he they were friends so he it's not like there's bad blood between them but when he comes back he starts asking her to meet up with him to go for a walk or to go see a movie or to go out to dinner because he's back having to take care of his family's business and 
doesn't have any other friends in the area. So that's one thing that kind of shakes up her world. And then the other thing is that the library where she works is threatened with closure because of budget cuts. So they have a system in in England. Um, my interpretation was sort of like a county library system the way we would hear where there are multiple branches that are all going to get closed because of budget cuts. And so they sort of have to make a case for themselves of why they shouldn't be closed because this this council is going to they're going to review all the circulation numbers and see which ones should stay open and which ones should close but june is told that she can't publicly support the steps that need to be taken to keep the library open or else she'll lose her job which is not a position she wants to be in she doesn't take risks in her life she doesn't again like stick her head out for or her neck out, you know, for anything she's just keeps to herself. But she the library is very important to her. And she she knows because she works there every day and sees the impact that it has on people and on individuals that what a loss it will be for their community if the library closes. So she starts subversively helping the group that's basically sort of like a friends of the library group that they form to keep mm-hmm. the library open. And so she starts feeding them information anonymously to try to help them and give them the fodder they need to keep it open. So this I was this is not an original idea, I wouldn't say. <laughs> it reminded me very much of The Reading List by Sarah Nisha Adams, mm-hmm. which I mean it's not identical but a similar theme and there are other books like it but there's a reason these books are still being published mm-hmm. it was so charming and heartwarming and just kind of fun to read about june coming into her own you get to know the regulars at the library who come in obviously as somebody who's worked in a library i think that this resonated more with me than it might with a reader who has not personally worked in a library and and knows some of the things that they're talking about. I loved it. I loved the reading experience. It left me feeling just happy and like all was right with the world at the end kind of feeling. And there's a little bit of a mystery about will the library stay open? Will it close? What's going to happen to all these people if it closes? And so I thought it was delightful. I thought it was really fun. Uh, I would definitely recommend it if you want a a feel-good kind of book you know it's not mm-hmm. one that's gonna probably win any awards or <laughs> or even win or even end up on my top 10 of the year kind of list but it was such an enjoyable reading experience so that is the last chance library by freya sampson that's that's good i'm glad you like that one that that was one that i read for the reading list yeah as a as something i was looking at as a, a possibility yeah and then was like this isn't doing anything no it's no, not, this nothing isn't. new no yeah no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna nominate this but it didn't really stick with me very well right. and i think that it had my memory is that some of the like the council people are just very heavy-handed yeah. in their the way they they do things which i i don't love stuff like that but but I did, as you started talking about it, I was all, oh, yeah, yeah, there was that thing that I, that was, it is just a very, it's a Saturday afternoon yep. book that yep. you just are, you just let it, let it ride, right over you. Yeah, I mean, that's that nice. for me, and I'm more of this kind of reader than you are, so I can imagine that I liked this maybe a little bit more than you did. But 
I like sprinkling in these kinds of books that are truly just feel-good books. It's right, just, right, you right. know everything's going to turn out fine. You know that... You know what you're getting when you pick right. up one of these books. And that's why I read them, truly, is because I know what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. I don't expect lots of twists and turns and surprises. Uh, I just genuinely want to read about good-hearted people doing mm-hmm. good-hearted things. And, and that's exactly what this book was. So mm-hmm. I thought it was really lovely. With a with a charming setting. Exactly. And the library, obviously, yeah, it was fun to read. And, and, sh- and sometimes... I felt like the author must have experience working in a library because she got a lot of right about mm-hmm. libraries that do, that does not always happen when people write about libraries. Right. Um, Especially the the we can't advocate for ourselves right. aspect of it. Like right. people are always all, why aren't you at, right. at city council things? Right. Well, I can't. Yep. So, yeah. So I really thought this was fun. I might at some point pick up the author has another book out now called uh, that came out, I think, this year or 2022 called The Lost Ticket that I might pick up at some point because it sounds just as charming. Oh, good. All right. What's your last one that I picked for you? You picked Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And you've talked about your love for this book before. So so I was excited that you picked this one because I have had it for a while. Again, (laughs) the most beautiful person I've seen in real life is the author. I just have to say it every single time. Um, she came to speak at work uh, pre-pandemic, which seems a little quaint now that we ha- used to have those kinds of events at work. Mm-hmm. And it was just very delightful in person and and uh, so beautiful that I kept telling Hallie over and over again and kept forgetting <laughs> that I had told her over and over again how beautiful she was. Um, and so I had that, that book because we get a copy of the book signed when we have author events. And so I have had this for three years or four years now. And so I was super glad you picked this. So this is also a debut novel, which I think actually is all of my books now that I think about it. Oh, debut well, novels. a theme, an unintentional yeah. theme. I'm going to say it was intentional. <laughs> it was not. For you. <laughs> also, I feel like we should say that you asked me to pick The Mayor and the Nightingale for you. Oh, yeah. So totally people did. are listening, wondering why I didn't have much to say about it. And I couldn't even remember if I read it. It's because you asked me to. Yeah, because I said, I've got to read it. That's winter. Right. I need. I right. just need need to do this now. So... Yeah. <laughs> so so um so this book has sort of two main characters. The the first one is Amira and she is a babysitter for an upper middle class family named the Chamberlains in Philadelphia and they are white and she is black. And she is sort of coasting at this point in her life. She's 25 and so she's about to lose her health insurance through her parents and she has a college degree. She went to Temple, but she doesn't have a passion and she comes from a family that has really strong passions so Mm -hmm. she's sort of an outlier in her her family um and she doesn't really want them to know that she doesn't know what she's planning to do but she's feeling a a pretty big sense of panic about what steps she needs to take because of of the health insurance thing Mm -hmm. so she takes a job as a part-time babysitter while she's trying to figure out what she's going to do so one night she's at a friend's birthday party and she's called by uh a le- i think Alix is how she yes Alix pronounced yeah. her names yeah or Elise is how you pronounced it no 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 Alix like you said Alix okay I, I was going back and forth on it I'm not I know it's not Alex but I was like I don't I don't know how she pronounced yeah, it yeah so. I've both read this and listened to the audiobook and on the audiobook they say Alix okay okay I've seen, isn't there some NPR reporter who has this name and, and is just Alice? Oh, I don't I know. 
So yeah, it's a confusing name. It's A-L-I-X. So she is the mom of the family. And so she says, can you come take their their older daughter, who is two, um, who's named Briar, away from the house because there has been a minor vandalism incident and and Alix doesn't want Briar to be around when the police get there. And so Amira uh, says yes and comes to take Briar to um, just away. And she goes to an upscale grocery store that's down the street. It's kind of like a Whole Foods type of thing. And um, they're just going to waste some time and, and poke around and look at things. And it's like 11 at night. And so when they're there, she is approached by security for having a white child out at night and is ultimately accused of kidnapping. Mm-hmm. And so... This because been... some white lady went to the security guard, right. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. She's she's some someone who just walked past them and then and then doubles back and is all, I think there's something going on. So so she so this incident is filmed by a man nearby and everything starts to escalate until Amira calls Peter, who is Briar's dad and, and Alix's husband, who of course is able to settle everything down because he's a white man. And so they believe him when he comes to say, no, this is our babysitter. So when Alix finds out about this, she begins to panic because she really relies on Amira for uh, some time to relax and to write the books that she's been contracted to write. And she begins to see Amira as a real person, whereas before she sort of just took her for granted except she doesn't still because it's less that she sees sees her as a real person and more that she just is desperate to be seen as an ally to amira when she really doesn't know anything about amira still and amira knows it like she's aware that this is what's going on that this is this is a reaction to this incident and not that she's actually caring about her but Alix basically becomes obsessed with her so they're relationship of employer and employee begins to change in ways that are very interesting because it's not it's not a it's not a change that that they're both not aware of it in the same way Mm -hmm. and that's really interesting to read about and so then then through this the video that was taken at the grocery store incident resurfaces and there are repercussions for both of them and there are reasons that this isn't just a story there's there's much much more to Mm -hmm. the story Mm -hmm. than what is on the surface and so um i really loved this oh that makes me so happy yeah so you're a much bigger consumer of this type of book of sort of examining relationships Mm -hmm. and the social issues that they illuminate Mm -hmm. than i am typically but reading this was like oh yeah i love these kinds of books too i just don't always right i don't gravitate to them as as quickly as you do and so this one is the writing is so good. She's it's so impressive that she's a debut author because there are just so many details that are really really subtle mm-hmm. ways that you see the the ways that they they're sort of circling around each other. These mm-hmm. two characters mm-hmm. is and the fact that that one of them is obsessed with the other and the other one doesn't really care right. but is aware that the other is obsessed with her is it's really well done. They just felt that it felt like a real world. It felt like real people. Yeah. Oh, this is so, so good. good. Oh, that this makes so, me so, so happy. Yeah. I would have been sad. Like, I didn't care that you didn't like the maid. I would have been sad if you didn't like this one. Yeah, I just no, think it's it, such a good book. I think it, yeah, that makes me so happy. Yeah. So that is such a fun age by Kylie Reed. One thing I will add that I think you did an excellent job talking about the book. And I think that it was as you said, it especially impressive that it was a debut because there's a lot thrown into this book that 
in lesser hands would not have worked. Right. And you did a good job of not giving any spoilers, so I'm not going to articulate what those things are that are in this book. But I think that if you on paper saw all the different elements that are that come up in this book, you would think, oh, I don't. That seems like a whole lot you're throwing in there. Yeah, you know, that seems yeah, like yeah. too much. But she just balances it all so right. well. And what's interesting, there was another book, and I'm not going to call it out because we try to be positive about all books on this podcast. There was another book that on a very similar theme that came out around the same time. And it even put in starker contrast how good this one was because I didn't think that the other one, the other one wasn't a bad book, but it just didn't feel necessary. Whereas mm-hmm. this one felt important to me. Mm-hmm. Like the story that was being told felt important. And, right. and I thought this is, she has a lot to say. And the other one felt like maybe it was not as much (laughs) coming from a place of having something to say. All right. My last one is Yerba Buena by by Nina LaCour. Oh, this book. (laughs) So right off the bat, I've got to say I loved this book. And I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to explain how much I loved it or why I loved it. So just I'm, I'm just starting off with that. Yeah, we this can try because I also loved it. So yes, I know. That's it's so great. Good. Uh, this book is about Sarah and Emily, who are two young women who have come from pretty different backgrounds. And we meet them as teenagers, or possibly even slightly younger than that now that I think about it. But we learn about them. They do not know each other. So we learn about their individual stories as teenagers. And both of their lives are... Irrevocably, irrevocably marked by addiction. In, again, in very different ways, but both of them. And then we jump to some number of years later. I don't even know if we know exactly how many years later. Uh, and now they are both in their 20s. And we see where they are in life. And then their paths cross at a restaurant called Yerba Buena. Immediately, there is a spark between the two of them. But... They both are kind of broken, I would say. They're both Mm -hmm. traumatized by things that have happened in their past. And so it's not like just, this is not a romance. It's not like everything, as soon as they meet, there's this spark and everything is hunky-dory and happy. It's like they meet and there's a spark and they feel a connection, a very deep connection. But they also have to deal with the reality of, who they are, where they're coming from as people, and what impact that has on the possibility of a relationship together and their own happiness, like their own ability to be happy. That's the pre- I mean, that's the basic premise of this story. The beauty of this book to me is in the writing and in the feelings that this mm-hmm. book evokes. Nina LaCour is incredible at at creating these love stories that feel very emotional and a little bit bittersweet, a little bit melancholy. Um, She excels at giving kind of impressions of a story without all Mm -hmm. the details of the story. Um, In sort of in a... 
yeah, like an impressionistic painter would. You know, you you get these scenes that are very atmospheric and they really give you a sense of the place and the emotions that are happening. But it's not like a paint by numbers. <laughs> this is exactly what's happening at every moment, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So you get this this full story, this full sense of who these women are, what their connection is to each other, some other relationships that they have in their lives without, again, all the small details of the interactions, I guess, because you get a lot of details, but right. you get a details, the details that paint the picture, not necessarily the way another author would portray the story. Anne and I were talking a little bit about this. It's almost like she gives you glimpses of the li the lives of her characters and then you fill in the gaps. Like you're mm -hmm. you're you get enough to understand who these people are and what they are to each other, but you're doing some of the work and she's just kind of laying the groundwork. She's laying the atmosphere and then you put it all together. So you're just let or I was just left with feeling like again, I loved this book. I loved the atmosphere she creates I felt for the characters I felt like felt deeply connected to who they were like what they were going through um she is just I don't know she's a beautiful writer I think and she's a master at these very melancholy love stories that mm -hmm. I think that I've read, I've read a few of her books and they all had a very similar tone to them so that is Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour yeah, we were talking about how when you're done, you're like, this is kind of just the same book as the other ones, but they, they're they so different feeling because, yeah. but they all, they're all the, the same feeling too of, of you mm -hmm. know, a Nina LaCour book. Mm -hmm. And we should say this is her adult debut versus oh, yes, her versus other books team, were, yeah. yeah, her other books were YA. And so they're all handling these, these love stories between women mm -hmm. with a very melancholy, like damaged people mm -hmm. kind of, kind of thing, but they're she just makes it all feel yep. so so like signature to her yep. and and they're they're very like one of the things that really appeals to me about these books is how visceral the 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 objects are mm -hmm. and how they're all she's very very aware of beauty in the mm -hmm. world and and her characters are very aware of objects and beautiful things and want their spaces to be beautiful which i very much relate to <laughs> and so uh, so when she's talking about how they're they're having a dinner party and talking about the antique glasses that they mm -hmm. found at an at a store poking around and there and the the details of the food and the drinks is, mm -hmm. Sarah is a is a um, bartender okay. and so they they talk about this is the drink that she puts together and the the flavors that it it, it has it, it and it just feels like this watercolor wash yep. that's going over you it's unlike any other author I I have read it, mm -hmm. there's just something so her about these mm -hmm. books and so this is one that I started reading for the reading list and then was like this doesn't really fit for our purposes mm -hmm. and so quit and ended up getting and I had an audio copy of the book too and I ended up selling the book the physical book and then went back to finish it and was all oh why did I get rid of that physical copy it's such a good book yeah so, it's fantastic I think yeah Again, I think I have a hard time conveying how, why I loved it or why I think it's so special. 
because yeah, I do it's think kind it was just very an experience. Book. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So yeah. those are our six TBR reads. We will be right back with what we're reading this week. Okay, Anne, what are you reading this week? I am listening to Kiss Her Once for Me by Alison Cochran. And this is a Christmas romance, but it's March, so you just have to have to deal with that. Um, so it starts out on a magical Portland snow day. And Ellie is, is a woman who has recently moved from Ohio for her dream job as a film animator, but is spending her first Christmas there alone with her because her mother cancels plans at the last minute to come up and... and uh, spend Christmas there because she has a new boyfriend and this is sort of indicative of their entire relationship. So, um, so this is happening on December 31st, 2021 is when it starts. And so she goes to Powell's and she, because she's looking for a specific book and she meets a woman named Jack and they're, they're both looking for the same book and the two immediately hit it off, which surprises Ellie because she has pretty severe social anxiety and she's also demisexual, which usually means that she doesn't feel physical attraction to someone that she's just met. But this is sort of surprising to her that this is, this has happened. So they have this just perfect, amazing charmed day together and they end up going home to Jack's Airstream trailer to spend Christmas Eve night together. So then a year later, Ellie is working as a barista for a horrible boss. She doesn't have her dream job anymore, and she is very single. And so she pours out her thoughts and feelings about what went wrong that night with Jack in a webcomic um, that she, she draws that's called Snow Day. So while she's at work, she is approached by the super attractive landlord of this coffee shop named um, Andrew Kim Prescott, and he is uh, he's there with a strange proposal. He wants her to pose as his fiance at their family Christmas party, which is actually a family Christmas week that he, she would have to go to. And then they're actually going to get married because he has a weird inheritance stipulation from his late grandfather that he can only inherit if he this this money if he's married. And so if they do this, she will get part of it and then they'll get divorced. And so she at first is Ellie is like, no, this is ridiculous. But then she's she's worried about money for a variety of reasons that they go into for the book or in, in this book. Um, and she decides that there's no real reason not to, because mm -hmm. what does she have to lose? She doesn't have anything going on in her life. So she decides to go to the Kim Prescott cabin in the mountains, which turns out to be more of a chalet. And this is basically just the most perfectly stereotypical family Christmas ever as as it looks on the surface um, until Andrew's late arriving sister Jacqueline arrives and it turns out to be Jack from the snow day a year ago and so through their interactions at the cabin you learn what happened last year and so this, there's just all kinds of tension because Ellie has to both sell her fake relationship to the family and keep her past relationship with Jack a secret from Andrew and then also negotiate her feelings for Jack that are very uh, confusing to her because she she still has she hasn't worked through what what exactly happened so it's just a lot that she's dealing with um, I don't read a lot of fake relationship books but they're very popular right now and this one sort of feels like a different take because it's it's a fake relationship but that's not really the point it's mm -hmm. not it's not a fake relationship where they fall in love the fake relationship is right is a guise for lots of things. So um, I very much enjoyed the last book by this author, which was The Charm Offensive. 
and that was was a super super fun book so i'm hoping that this one will live up to that and this is uh kiss her once for me by allison cochran yeah i started that before christmas in my in my run of read all the christmas books but it didn't grab me right away so i just set it aside until maybe next christmas i'll give it another shot yeah all right, what I am reading this week is The Museum of Ordinary People and this by Mike Gale, excuse me. And this does not come out, I should have checked. This comes out in May, I believe, May 30th, maybe. So it's not quite out yet. I'm reading it because I'm going to be reviewing it for a publication. I think it's maybe already out in the UK. So hopefully not. I'm only going to give the bare minimum away or, you know, talk about the bare minimum. So it's not like I'm giving anything away. But if it sounds really good, you might be able to get it from the UK and not have to wait until (laughs) May 30th. So it opens with Jess, the main character, cleaning out her mother's house. Her mother had died. She raised Jess as a single mom and they were very close and she died very unexpectedly uh, when she was in her 50s. So it left Jess a bit reeling really because it was so unexpected and and took her by surprise so as she sorts through all of her mom's things and and figures out what she can get rid of and she's preparing the house to sell uh she's just flooded with memories of her mother and their relationship and obviously the the grief and sadness that comes along with that um but the thing that really sums up her mom to her is this old set of encyclopedias that her mom had and her mom I think didn't finish school or dropped out of school but was very intent on Jess having a good future and so the encyclopedias really represented that in that she wanted Jess to have all the information needed and you know have all this knowledge and so Jess takes the encyclopedias back to the apartment she shares with her fiance and she's really unsure even why it's just it's a spontaneous act that she takes these back and her fiance is not happy he said we don't have room for these what are you why we wouldn't use them they're from the 70s why would you keep this set of encyclopedias so Jess starts looking for uh, a place to donate them or for a friend who might be interested in taking them and she can't find anywhere then a friend of hers discovers that there is a place called the Museum of Ordinary People, which is just housed in basically like a warehouse was my sense, where people can take things like this that they don't want to throw away or they don't want to donate. And somebody will basically take care of it for them, like keep it in good condition. And so she goes there and tracks down, um, you know, where it is and she shows up at the door and this guy answers and looks at her like she is insane like what are you talking about there is no museum here this is a warehouse and then these two guys who work there stroll out and they say oh no actually (laughs) there is this storeroom in the back where the old owner used to accept it when people would show up and we've even randomly had people who have heard about it who want to come look at the stuff like it's not an official museum it's just this storeroom where we hold these objects for people. And the previous owner of the warehouse, so the guy who opened the door for her, has just inherited this building from, as it turns out, somebody he does not know. So they go and they look, and and the previous owner had actually put little tags on every item and said (laughs) who donated it and when. Seemed to take seriously the fact that people... These, these objects had meaning to people. So Jess 
immediately feels drawn to this idea. She had actually gone to school to be a museum curator. Is that what they're called? Yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, Anyway, she had gone to school to be a museum curator, but then never ended up. She had applied for some jobs. Nothing ever worked out. So she ended up just becoming a receptionist at a big company. And that's where she has been ever since. But this this concept really sparked something in her. And she thinks we could make this into a real museum. There could be a draw for people to come instead of going to these museums with these fancy things that are so outside of everyday life. Like, let's make a museum that reflects and honors the elements of ordinary people. Mm -hmm. So it's very sweet. It actually reminded me a lot of The Last Chance Library. because Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, the main characters both lost their moms and sort of gotten stuck in life. And it's very much in that same vein of a very sweet, heartwarming story. It actually takes a few twists that I didn't expect. Um, There's a little bit of a mystery about, uh, is his name Alex? Because that's the same in the Last Chance Library. I feel like his name is Alex. Yeah. Uh, I didn't write it down. But uh, the new owner has no idea why he's been left this business. So there's a little mystery there that's solved. Um, anyway, it's very, very sweet. It's called The Museum of Ordinary People by Mike Gale. It comes out May 30th. All right, let's go back and list off all the books we talked about this episode. Okay, I talked about The Maid by Anita Prose, The Bear and the Nightingale by Catherine Arden, such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed, and what I'm reading this week is Kiss Her Once for Me by Alison Cochran. All right, and I talked about The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by Megan Bannon, The Last Chance Library by Freya Sampson, Yerba Buena by Nina LaCour, and The Museum of Ordinary People by Mike Gale. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or suggestion on a topic or just anything really if you what tbr books are on your (laughs) your list that you can't wait to read uh, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com you can find us on our facebook page or on twitter or instagram at wellreadpodcast please rate and review the show on apple Podcasts or your other podcast provider of choice Um, really does help people find the show i know that we say this every episode but it really does so uh, we appreciate your time if you do that Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. Oh, I thought of another reason why you might want to email us. If you're watching Daisy Jones and the Six, email me because I want to talk to somebody about it. (laughs) We keep our show notes at wellreadpodcast.wordpress.com where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this and every episode. Thank you all for listening and happy reading.